With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Examining the issues. Steve Hook on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Well, hello there. How are you? Uh, Welcome to the Steve Hook Show, kind of a special edition today. It's so good to be with you. I got a man, it's going to be a big day today. I've got, uh, well, we're going to do the Steve Hook Show for two hours. We've got some great, fabulous guests for you that I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, And then, of course, we've got State of the Nation coming on at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, till 5. And we've got some great guests on that show as well. So what I'm telling you is, for four solid hours, I've got to run my mouth and be good at it. And I'm going to do my level best to do that. But let me just give you a heads up on what's going on today uh, on the Steve Hook Show. We've got, as I mentioned, some good guests. Uh, Youssef Bashir is going to join me. Youssef is a Palestinian-American, and uh, he's got a fascinating story to tell about his time uh, living over there. Uh, he was actually shot by the IDF. Uh, and you might think that the, that he would be very bitter about that, and he may well be. I mean, who could blame him? Uh, but he's also got a little bit of a different perspective that I think we all need to hear, and uh, I think you're going to be uh, fascinated by Yusef's story. Also joining us a little bit later, Ed Butowski, uh is going to be calling up. He, of course, is the founder of Chapwood Investments. We've had uh, Ed on plenty of times. He's a wonderful guy. We're going to chat about uh, the economy going forward for the United States, and for that matter, the Western world, and really the whole world. So we'll see what Ed has to say on that. And then after that, I'm so happy to welcome back Gerard Folletti. Gerard, of course, senior counsel for the Lawfare Project. We're going to talk with him about all not only the lawsuits that are going on against Donald Trump and all of his uh, uh, subordinates, uh, which it seems and is obviously politically motivated, uh, we're going to also talk with uh, Gerard about about other things that are going on in the uh, in in the world today regarding lawfare, which is what you'd expect with Gerard Folletti. And speaking of which, our final guest uh, on the show today is going to be uh, George Papadopoulos. Looking forward to chatting with George. He, of course, was a victim of lawfare and uh, state government-sponsored espionage and all kinds of other garbage. He was forced to plead guilty to something he didn't do. He was pardoned by President Trump, and he's got quite the story to tell, not just on that front, but on other fronts as well. So we'll look forward to chatting with uh, George. So what I'm telling you is big, big day uh, and a lot to dive into here. Uh, One of the things that can't be we can't soft pedal this because it's happening and we're all seeing it. And let me just say this. I almost feel like I have to throw this disclaimer out. I don't much care what your attitude is on Israel uh, against uh, Hamas in Gaza. That uh, We can all have our varying opinions on that. But one thing that we must be able to wrap our heads around here is there is a huge rise in straight-up anti-Semitism. That is happening. It is certainly happening here in the States. We are seeing it in college campuses uh, from one side of the nation to the other, uh, and all points in between. It's gotten very, very ugly, and it's gotten ugly because a whole bunch of uh, social media influencers have gotten involved. Of course, the media is going to do their level best in this uh, click-and-share world that we live in. It seems that, you know, the old adage in, in journalism used to always be, if it if it bleeds, it leads. Well, 
that's always been true, but it's worse now than ever before because now there are so many different uh, there are so many different um, uh, sources of information. Uh, we're a twenty four seven news cycle all the time, and it's being we're being propagandized to, um, and this is starting to affect the way we feel as a nation. Our nation's psyche is under the test right now. And I must say that right now we're not doing a wonderful job with it. Now, a lot of people are, but a lot of people are just so wrapped up in hate, hate of, well, hate of, hate of their own nation, uh, hate of Israel, hate of Donald Trump, hate of conservatism, hate of, well, just hate. And here we are the day before Thanksgiving. It seems that it might be a good time to kind of let go of some of that hate, right? That's why I look so much. Uh, that's why I look so forward to talking with Yousef Bashir and he, uh, here in just a bit. But let me give you an example of this. Susan Sarandon, the actress, the hardcore leftist that she's always been. Sarandon has always been very outspoken. She is a uh, she is a absolute typical bleeding heart liberal. She always has been, always will be, no question about that. Well, Susan Sarandon went on an anti-Jewish rant at a Palestinian parade. Well, it was a Palestinian protest organization, I guess. And she got dropped. She got dropped by her talent agency. They said, uh, we're done with you. I'm reading from foxnews.com. Actress Susan Sarandon was dumped by her talent agency after she said Jews are, quote, getting a taste of what it feels like to be Muslim in the United States. Now, a lot of people cheered that on. Yes, 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 except for there's a problem with that. And that is the biggest, the, the, the largest victim of hate crime in the United States right now, and it has been for a long time, are Jewish Americans. Uh, it's gone up by over 300% since the, uh, since the fighting in Gaza began. Uh, actually, it's gone up even before the fighting in Gaza began. It went up right after October 7th. After over 1,400 Israelis were were murdered, not all of them Jewish, by the way, it should be pointed out. But it didn't take long before the uh, the anti-Semitism to rear its ugly head. Susan Sarandon never met an oppressed or what she considers an oppressed people. She's never met a group of people like that that she didn't immediately support, regardless of any truth. Because what do we, why do we call them bleeding heart liberals? Because they don't think with this. They think with this. They think with their heart, not their head. And their heart always leads them to put people in victim and victimizer class. And that's what she's always done. So it's no shocker there. But she's being a little bit ridiculous in her rants. And that's why she got dropped by her talent agency. Get this, though. One Muslim American activist stood up and said, hey, knock it off, Susan Sarandon. Knock it off. It's just not uh, just not right what you're saying. So she took her message to Twitter and um, it's pretty, just check this out. My message to her, Susan Sarandon is I'm a Muslim living in America and I have more freedoms living in the United States of America than I would any Muslim country in the world. It was here in America that my mother and father arrived in the 1960s. My father got a PhD. My mother was able to work for a living. And that's my experience. Her name is Asra uh, Normani. I hope I got that name right. If I didn't, I apologize. She's author of the book, Woke Army, 
She goes, my mother was able to live with her hair free in the wind. My father became a professor at West Virginia University. He got a job offer to Libya where he had to make a choice, whether he would work for the Muslim dictator Muammar Gaddafi uh, as an indentured servant, essentially, or live free in the United States of America. And this is where he chose. And with that, the family moved to the United States. Nomani says her parents, who are now in their 80s and 90s, live as free Americans in West Virginia. This is what Sarandon should know about the Muslim experience in America. Now, she is 77 years old. Uh, This is Susan Sarandon. Big star of Thelma and Louise. Everybody remembers it. My favorite Susan Sarandon role was probably Rocky Horror Picture, although she was good in Thelma and Louise. But these inflammatory remarks came during a pro-Palestinian rally in New York City uh, on Sunday, where she called for Americans to have conversations with Jewish Americans who feel afraid because of the nationwide rise in anti-Semitism. There are a lot of people uh, that are afraid that that are afraid of being Jewish at this time, and they're getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country so often subjugated to violence. So you see where Susan Sarandon's head's at here. She's not really, let's be honest, she's not really sympathetic towards anyone. She, like so many of these leftists, is a virtue signaler. She's saying, I care more than you. And therefore, I have more virtue than you. And therefore, I'm on the right side of history. You're on the wrong side of history. Problem is, she doesn't really know the history that well. The remarks that she made sparked intense online backlash, including from uh, Nornani, I think is the way you pronounce her name. And she she responded to Susan Sarandon with a post about her family's experience uh, in America on X yesterday, formerly Twitter, of course. She said, this is a taste of the life of a Muslim family in America. Please don't minimize the experience of Jewish Americans by sanitizing the hell that it is for Muslims living in Muslim countries and vilifying America for the life and freedoms that she offers Muslim families like mine. Go ahead and live like a Muslim woman in a Muslim country. You will come back to America and kiss the land beneath your feet. And we're seeing more and more of this. I also saw that one of the stars of the, uh, what is it, the Scream franchise? I didn't even know it was a franchise because, frankly, after the first Scream, I just said, okay, that's good. I've seen it. But at any rate, one of the big stars of that, a Mexican-American actress, she was recently fired from the show, let go from the show. So this is what happens. Freedom of speech is fine, and and everybody supports it. I may not agree with with, with everything that you believe, you certainly may not agree with everything that I believe. But I would absolutely stand in the breach for your right to say it. And I think that the message that Susan Sarandon needs to hear is, you're not free to have a lot of the opinions you have uh, over in some of these countries that you that you shill for. It's just a fact. You're just not. This whole intersectionality thing that uh, progressive liberals are so wrapped up in uh, it's it's really pretty amusing when you think about it. Uh, it's we've talked about it before. Uh, the 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 LGBTQI plus community for Palestine. Okay, that's great. Now go in Gaza or go to the West Bank and fly your rainbow flag and see what happens 
it won't end well for you. Go fly that flag in Yemen and see what happens. It won't end well for you. Same could be said of Qatar. Same could be said of Saudi Arabia. Same could be said of Iran. In fact, it definitely <laughs> wouldn't work in Iran. But there's a whole bunch of these countries. I'm not slamming these countries because they're Muslim. I'm slamming these countries because they have zero freedoms. So maybe sometimes, it's, it, especially as I mentioned, the day before Thanksgiving here in the States, maybe we ought to sit back and be thankful for what we do have. Susan Sarandon has the freedom to get up and run her mouth and lose her talent agent because they have the freedom to say, I don't like what you said. So freedom of speech doesn't always mean freedom from consequences. And that's what uh, Susan Sarandon is quickly finding out. And again, she's not the only one. It's happening all over college campuses. We've been seeing this. Harvard is just is just rife with this hatred, this Jew hatred. And let's call it what it is. It's not Israeli hatred. It's Jew hatred. And, and, and that's where it comes from. And that's where it is, at least here in the States it is. And I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, it we've seen it in London. We've seen it all over Western Europe. It's a rise of anti-Semitism that is ugly. And again, this really isn't even about what your opinion about Israel and Gaza is. Everybody wants peace. At least everybody that has that is morally has, has moral clarity wants peace. But you can't slam one side while ignoring the horrors of the other side. And that goes both ways. That goes both ways. So when I think of what these folks are doing, I can only shake my head and say, why? Why are you doing this? You're not doing this to save poor Palestinians. You're doing this to prop yourself up. It's not helping poor Palestinians. It's certainly not helping American Jews. We see what's happening with these kids in college campuses that are Jewish. They're getting slammed. They're being followed. They're, be they're being threatened for one reason, because they're Jewish. Many of these students haven't said a damn word about what's going on in Israel uh, and Gaza. But just because they're Jewish, they're getting attacked. This is how it, it begins. This is how it began back in the mid to early 1930s. This is how it began. Now, I'll not sit here and make the entire show about this because I think it's very important that we talk to Youssef Bashir, and we're going to in just a minute, because he comes at it from a perspective of a Palestinian American who actually lived there, who actually took a bullet in the back. If anybody's got a reason to be furious, I would wager it would be Yusuf Bashir. But he's got a very, very interesting story, uh, story to tell, and I think you're going to be uh, fascinated by it. He's the Director of Research and Operations for the S. Daniel Abraham Center for Middle East Peace. He's also uh, the author of the book, The Words of My Father, Love and Pain in Palestine. Uh, and uh, it's just really a great story. He was 15 years old when an Israeli soldier shot him in the back outside of his house in Gaza. But in the months after the attack, he would come to see a different side of his occupiers as a team of Israeli doctors helped him learn to walk again. So he's kind of seen it from both sides. He's a cheerleader for peace, which is what we should all be, really. Don't you think? Wouldn't that be exciting if we were all just cheerleaders for peace and not making it such a binary, I hate this group, they hate that group? Uh, 
I know it's I know it's uh, it it sounds a little uh, pie in the sky, maybe a little Pollyanna, uh, Pollyanna uh, to to, uh, to to go down this road. But at the same time, that's what Thanksgiving is all about here in the United States: being thankful for what you have. Uh, being thankful for where you've come from and being uh, being hopeful for the future. So uh, Yousef Bashir is going to be a very, very interesting guest. You're listening to the Steve Hook Show on TNT Radio. We'll be right back with Yousef Bashir on TNT Radio. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, Certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained Uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. Caution. You are about to to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. All right. Welcome back to the Steve Hook Show. And I'm very, very happy to welcome my first guest uh, guest to the show. I mentioned uh, a bit of his bio. Let me uh, let me tell you a little bit more about Yousef Bashir. Again, he's the director and research and operations for the S. Daniel Abraham Center for Middle East Peace. Uh, Yousef is a Palestinian-American author of the book, The Words of My Father, Love and Pain in Palestine. He holds a BA in International Affairs at Northwestern University, an MA in Coexistence and Conflict from Brandeis University. Now, Yousef uh, has a has a great story to tell. It's an interesting story, to be sure. At 15 years uh, old, he was shot in the back by an IDF soldier right outside his home in Gaza. But in the months after that attack, he would come to see a different side uh, of his occupiers as a whole team of Israeli doctors helped him learn to walk again. Now, that Israeli bullet remains in his back to this today as a reminder. But Yousef has... Uh, has become a cheerleader for peace. And I think that's what we all need. And we welcome Yousef Bashir to the show. Hello, Yousef. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Good to be with you, Steve. Thank you for having me. I do want to add just a little quick uh, addition. I'm also doing sure. a PhD uh, on Hamas at Johns Hopkins University in Washington, D.C. 
Oh, okay, good. Well, that's we love to hear that, and thank you for uh, clarifying. Um, Yusef, you have a story unlike unlike anybody who's listening right now. Not unlike a lot of uh, Palestinians, it must be said, but your story ended on a hopeful note when you were you were basically saved at least your your ability to walk again and it gave you a different perspective on on the occupiers uh the israelis uh and i guess it would but why don't you kind of share how it went down and what what brought you to where you are now because obviously you're an advocate for peace and we 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 love to hear that so in your own words give us give us your story it is it is quite crucial to uh, bring in the personal perspective as well as the expert perspective, and we we need both uh, more than ever uh, today. Uh, my story began uh, in the Gaza Strip in a city called Deir el Balah. Uh, I am a native of Gaza. My family goes back as 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 uh, as far as the Ottoman Empire um, uh, and and the Holy Land. My father, who you called me a peace activist, my father is the uh, uh, most uh, legendary person I've ever I will ever come to know. Uh, he owned his land. He taught English, uh, and he believed very much in the value of education and in the value of, of of educating oneself about the opinions and the narratives of others, including enemies. Uh, in two thousand, uh, the Second Intifada erupted. My house was located near the former settlement of Kfar Darom, exactly right next to the military base that was there to protect it. Uh, and the soldiers started shooting at the house. That was the message that it was time for us to leave. My father refused. I believe in peace. I teach my children peace. And therefore, I shouldn't be asked to evacuate uh, and leave my home because he was convinced that like in the past uh, Palestinian experiences, once he leaves his home, his home will be no more. Uh, so as a response, the soldiers came, moved in, took over the second floor, third floor, and from September of 2000 all the way until summer of 2005, they controlled every aspect of our lives. They made us sleep on the floor in the living room. As a, as a teenager, I had to ask for a permission from the soldiers to go to the kitchen at night, go to the bathroom. If I wanted to stay back uh, at school and to play soccer after hours from uh, school, I didn't only have to ask my parents for permission, I also had to ask uh, Israel's army for that. The press were in the house by day, soldiers by night. They demolished his greenhouses. They shot and injured him on CNN. They shot and injured my brother. And then they finally shot me in the spine in front of three American uh, United Nations officers. Throughout all of that, my, father's, my father was adamant that we must not allow the actions of the others uh, to determine what our potential in life is going to be. And so that was his biggest mission. The, the book, I write about how often I clash with him. He would say, peace, 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 children of Abraham. And all I had to do is point to the soldier uh, stationed at the door of the living room, controlling our lives. Uh, when I got shot, my whole life, I was introduced to the world of Israel and everything that comes with that uh, through the soldiers and through the settlers. And neither one was friendly towards my people, and my family. Uh, and now here I am surrounded by them, uh, speaking Hebrew. I am paralyzed. Uh, Steve uh, shot in, uh, with an M16 that exploded into three fragments. And somehow, by God's care, it did not break my spine. And now I'm surrounded by the same people, apparently, who eventually, a year later, would teach me how to walk. 
You taught me how to get out of bed, how to take the stairs, how to run down the stairs, how to swim, all of that, just all over again. So it brought me closer to my dad's vision of peace, if anything. It brought me to appreciate and, 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 and value my heritage as Palestinian, my connection to the Holy Land. And now I felt uh, that I was fortunate enough to get that care and to get that attention in order to I can maybe one day uh, dedicate it to making this uh, stuff. Unfortunately, these days have been very difficult for me because since 2004, I have never let one month pass without going somewhere to speak about this, to promote this, to, to give people a chance and a hope. And I'm so uh, devastated that here we are back uh, uh, um, at, at square one. But it's also another reminder of why uh, I do what I do and why this is so crucial and it's so vital that we never stop doing so. I know that people like me in Gaza do exist. And I, do, I know that people on the other side also do exist. And one day we will get there. Yeah. It's, I tell you, your story, your story is heartbreaking, and it's also uplifting um, uh, in the end. And the way that it, it, it just it, it, so many elements of it are just uh, Israeli doctors saved you. But really, it sounds to me, Youssef, is they, they may have saved your ability to walk, and they had to leave the bullet in your back. But what they also did was they brought you and your father closer together and his vision of peace. I just find that, uh, I mean, you're a good man. Uh, to take that to take that approach and uh and I for one want to thank you for it and I'm glad that you're you're doing better now the the conflict that, that is going on over there is one that has been going on for many many years it's uh and, and the the it, the thing that's so damn frustrating about it Yusuf is that it seems that both sides are just absolutely locked into their positions um you've you've got uh you've got hamas uh you know chanting from the river to the sea which effectively means no more israel you've got israel basically saying we're going to kill every last member of hamas and then of course you have the people inside gaza uh who are suffering and it must be said the people inside tel aviv that have been suffering so both sides have suffered but man oh man what's going on now that is just uh, do you see it, we we now know that there's going to be apparently tomorrow a ceasefire, a humanitarian ceasefire, as 50 women and children hostages are going to be released by Hamas, uh, and there's going to be a window of, of of a ceasefire. Are you hopeful that perhaps this uh, can 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 grow and expand and maybe turn into a longer ceasefire, and maybe some kind of coming together of the sides? Thank you, Steve. You 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 gave so much there. Um, in terms of the suffering of the people, uh, they are the Palestinians are not only suffering. Uh, who the, the the Palestinians in Gaza are not the only Palestinians who are suffering. We have to remember that the Palestinians living in the West Bank are also going and have been going through so much uh, daily uh, difficulties at the hands of the Israeli army. Not to mention Palestinians throughout refugee camps uh, throughout the region. I know for, I know I have Israeli friends and in no way uh, and I check on them I ask about them in no way their plight is the same as the people in Gaza I have my mother 
and my brother in, in our house, along with 40 other people who have been sheltering, they have been scrabbling for food, electricity, phone calls. There are days that I cannot connect. That is not at all the same uh, in yeah. comparison with my friends in Tel Aviv. Not, none whatsoever. So I, I just want to make that, and I hope that's okay. Uh, yeah. in, and in terms of being hopeful, uh, of course, as you mentioned earlier, I, my, I have no choice but to be hopeful. Despite the pain, despite the lack of hope, I'm always going to be hopeful. The agreement that has been talked about tomorrow, it's been mentioned uh, uh, really since, uh, since October 8th. Uh, Qatar has high stakes in making sure that we are there in order to help facilitate such, uh, such deals at such times. Uh, the United States wants this to be done since there are Americans, a lot of backlash against the U.S. administration. Uh, the Israel has been, and of course Hamas has, if you go back in news, they've been communicating that they will release non-Israelis, they will re release women, etc., uh, etc. Et Israel has been the issue, and here I mean the government. Uh, Netanyahu, uh, his coalition, his war cabinet, they have been now for a good three weeks on the fence about this. They're not unsure uh, whether uh, to do it or not. And that is what makes me concerned moving forward. Had we reached such a deal two weeks ago, that hope you ask about would have been much, much higher. Uh, today, 45, 47 days in, so much pain, so much destruction, uh, and this, the war is not technically over, by no, by all no means, no one announced that, uh, but I thought, I think that it, had it done, been done earlier, it would have given more chances for peace uh, or uh, uh, ceasefire, if you will, uh, to come, to come, to come about. Am I hopeful? Yes. However, I am just a little worried that at this point, Israel has gotten so far in God's trip that it might not have a strategy on when exactly would be the right uh, time uh, to stop this. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and I understand that's that's and plus, of course, in war, there's always fog of war. There's always uh, when, when do we uh, reach the point where we can say enough is enough? I. I absolutely hear where you're coming from there and i think that anyone uh of sound mind and you know being rational can, can certainly get that and I, I i was certainly not trying to compare what's going on in gaza to tel aviv but i do know that the the, the horror that that the that the palestinian people are are seeing right now i wonder if do you think that they are uh, that that many of the folks in Palestine? You mentioned the West Bank as well. Um, do you think that that some of them are like uh, maybe looking at Hamas as also? Obviously, Netanyahu's government is is striking back hard. Uh, they're taking kind of a sledgehammer to a gnat here. We can we can all appreciate that. Um, but do you think that Hamas is? Uh, willing to say, okay, you know what, we're going to bag out of here because I don't know that, I think that both sides have been, as I mentioned, so incalcitrant with each other. They won't, they won't look at the other side of this. Do you think Hamas bears any of the responsibility for this? Because October 7th, that was a bloody day. And I think Netanyahu is just like, I've had enough. I'm going to go in there and kill them all. And, and, and that is what has just really blown this thing up to the point of sheer horror for your folks in, 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 in Gaza. Well, it is the same man who has uh, implemented a policy 
uh, of entrenching Hamas's uh, govern government in the Strip as a way to divide between the Palestinian government in Gaza and the government in the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority. Uh, with Israeli consent, Qatar has transported nearly a billion dollars to the government of Hamas over the years. So we're talking 10 years. So it's a, we are living in the Netanyahu world, basically, all of us, for the, the United Nations, the, the USA, uh, everyone who cares about this. We've been dealing with Israel, Hamas, Palestinians, and, and also this person, uh, Netanyahu, and his vision for uh, the, the, his vision in, for the region. Um, I am a student of history. Uh, I am a peace activist. I believe that this is the only way as an Arab, as an American, as a Palestinian, as a Muslim. Um, and as, as I mentioned, as a student of history, I understand how violence has been ineffective for the Palestinians, even when violence seemed to, to achieve something. That achievement, whatever that is in throughout history, has still came short incredibly short from the ultimate goal of every Palestinian that is independence and statehood. So I know that violence is ineffective. However, Hamas is part of the Palestinian society. If you recall in 1982, the PLO did exactly the same things against Israel and ultimately under a deal that facilitated by the United States, the, United, uh, the PLO had to evacuate out of Lebanon. But the PLO is not from Lebanon. Here, Hamas is from Gaza. Hamas, they have families in the West Bank. They have been around since as early as 1970 as a social movement, as a movement that offers uh, clinical services, uh, uh, education, uh, quality education, I also must add for your uh, listeners. So we're talking about a group that is part of the society. And if you ask me, will Hamas condemn? It's like asking, will Ben Gver condemn? On the contrary, Ben Gver and his people, they came out and said they should nuke the place uh, for, for all they care. So it's uh, we, we in order to approach this, Hamas, Israel, Netanyahu, we have to really dig deep on what Hamas means for the Palestinians, what Ben Gvir means for the Israelis, in order for us to be able to sit in a room and have a clear view of everything that is going on in this conflict, uh, regardless of what happened on October 7th. It was shocking, surprise, all of that. But we, as, as a people who care, we have to always bring everything, every little act factor and actor in, involved in this conflict in order for us to see it clearly and hopefully come up with a better solution that will prevent this happening for the Palestinians as well as for the Israelis. Yeah, yeah. I, well, that's obvious. And, and I think that's well stated, Youssef. I, I, it would be, you know, I know some people on, on one side will say, well, Netanyahu is a war criminal. And on the other side, though, people say, no, Hamas is a war criminal. Well, here, here's an idea. Maybe both of them have screwed up a little bit. Um, I saw videos of some of the education that you mentioned that Hamas provides, and I also saw videos of some of the education that Israel pr provides. And to be honest with you, as an American, I was shocked at both of them. Um, some math equation saying, you know, what is the velocity of a slingshot compared to an IDF rifle? Okay, well, that seems to be kind of fanning the flames. And then I see education happening in Israel where they're, bad-mouthing uh, Gazans and Palestinians and using them in problems. It's just, it almost seems like a a mutual hate society. And that's what, that, that's why I'm so moved by your story, because you have a genuine, obviously, distaste for Netanyahu. I can't say as I blame you for that. Um, but 
how do we get beyond that without the violence? Who's going to put down the, the weapons first? Uh, tomorrow's a good start, but it's only a start, and it may be a start and a stop. I mean, and and is it going to expand to the other parts of the of, of the region? The West Bank, Lebanon's gotten involved with Hezbollah. Where does it, how do we stop it? Big so, question, I know. Of course. So, uh, a, a crucial one. So, for as long as this is going on and ongoing, and it has been, whether we like it or not, some people are delusional about that, but it has been going on for 75 years. Yeah. Uh, all attempts have failed. For as long as this environment is ongoing, you're always going to see ideas that you will say, oh, well, this is fanning the flames, like you put it. But it's it's only an after after the fact that there's no there's no stability here there's no peace so it's only almost normal unfortunately that that's how they speak of one another i mean it's an obvious statement that we we, we don't go around saying we love them so much and they don't do the same uh yeah. for hamas you can say that about people who are not hamas and many palestinians are not with hamas however they feel the same about a lot that Israel has done to them. Uh, there isn't a, a Palestinian you'll meet that doesn't have a story to tell about something Israel, the army, the settlers did to them at some point, their father, their cousin, etc. So this is the situation, unfortunately, that we live in. We are working within a, a conflict a, 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 a circle, if you will. Uh, you 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 ask about the the weapons. Who's going to put the weapon down first? I don't think it's a weapon issue here. I think it's an idea issue here. I think the narratives here are the ones that need to be resolved and changed first. And the narrative on the Israeli side completely rejects any presence of Palestinians that we've never existed. This was an empty land. If you go back back all the way, to me that's insulting because. I've had to work so hard to read the history, their books, their narratives, and, and my own religion, which mentions them, by the way, and, and my yeah. religion, they are mentioned, they are just as part of it as I am. But we have to live in, in a world where I accept you, you accept me. I don't feel that the other side is willing to do that or has gotten to a point where it's able and ready to do that for the Palestinians. I know the Palestinians feel and, and they may disagree on the presentation of this, but I know the Palestinians agree that this Holy Land belongs to all the children of Abraham. And we must be neighbors and we must figure out a way how to be neighbors. So far, I see it. I learned this in Gaza. I learned this by at the hands of Palestinian teachers. When I meet Israelis, I went to Brandeis for a reason to mention this, to, to remind people that this is this is how I was raised in Gaza. I meet Israelis on the other side who are not even willing to entertain the idea that I am a legitimate, legitimate actor uh, that belongs to nowhere but to the, uh, the Holy Land. Now we need to figure out a way. We need to pressure. We need to put on pressure as people, as people who care, people who cover. You ask me great questions that to push the mainstream, the governments, the the, the people on, on on both sides to change the narrative about the other side. Now, Israel is a state. It has a constitution. It has all sorts of tools that help, can help it to do that. It chooses not to. My side, unfortunately, is not a state. So it's a lot more harder for me to. Yeah. 
bring what I'm saying to you to, 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 into action because I don't have the tools. Once Palestinians are allowed to have a state, once they are a true state, not a Gaza off the shore, not this, not that, a true state where law and order come first before anything else, uh, I think it will be a different story. Let's just judge it by the facts. The polls before the war were not, the Palestinian public wasn't so much excited about Hamas. It's very simple. They've said, they've promised in 2007, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to deliver. They may have, they may have not, but the consensus among the people in the East Jerusalem and the West Bank and in Gaza, that they, if the elections were held today, before October 7, Hamas will not go very far. The last time people in Gaza protested Hamas was as late as in July uh, of this year. And now uh, it's rally around the flag, right? About about, about the, 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 the electricity, about uh, services. Just, you know, we look at them uh, in a different way than Israel. Israel looks at Gaza through just the security lenses. Uh, and unfortunately, much of the Western world has done the same and over the past month that only looked at Gazans and Gaza through Hamas only, uh, forgetting yeah. that Gazans are a very diverse group of people, Palestinians uh, are a very uh, diverse group of people, and we have criticized Hamas, we want better government, we want to be able to be empowered to run our own state in order to change the narrative, challenge the narratives, make this uh, 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 more predominant uh, thought and approach, and then you ask who's going to uh, uh, put down the weapon first, Answering that question will become irrelevant once we reach that stage. Wow, that is that is so well stated. And Youssef Bashir, I, I thank you for it. Thank um, you for having me. You're a beacon of light in this thing, and I know that there's bitter feelings and acrimony on on both sides. But you're coming at it from the right angle, and I certainly hope that you uh, and and your people um, can find the peace that you're advocating for because uh, you're well spoken about it and. God bless you, sir. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. Thank you, Steve. Okay, you have a wonderful day. There he goes. That's Youssef Bashir. You're listening to The Steve Hook Show. We'll be right back on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. It was reported over the weekend that Special Counsel Robert Hur, no relation to Ben, who's been tasked with investigating Joe Biden's criminal misappropriation, mishandling, and maladministration of classified documents to which he never had any legal basis for possessing, will not be bringing criminal charges against the president. Meanwhile, Special Persecutor Jack Smith, who has criminally charged Donald Trump for possessing documents he was legally entitled to, is proceeding full speed ahead. Joe Biden having classified documents in his garage? Not a problem. Donald Trump having classified documents held under lock and key at Mar-a-Lago, which is protected by Secret Service? That's a criminal violation, pal. You're going to pay for that. It's the hypocrisy. It's the double standard. It's the complete injustice of our Department of Justice that is so galling and it has people so angry. I think the worm eventually is going to turn, however. And all of those malefactors that are now interfering with yet another election are going to have their day in court on the wrong end of the V when the Department of Justice once again meets out justice. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea, TNT Radio. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit 
heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. You know, the country has been in prolonged for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into the unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Steve Hook on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, you're listening to the Steve Hook Show, a special edition of the Steve Hook Show on TNT Radio today, and we're so happy to have you with us. I'm also happy to welcome our next guest. Uh, He's been on before, Ed Butowski. He's the founder of Chapwood Investments, and we welcome him to the program now. Ed, hello there, sir. How are you? It's so wonderful to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, you too. It's a a great time of year. It's my favorite time of year right now. Love this time. Isn't it, though? Yeah, me too. A little chill in the air. Uh, It's funny you'd say that because I just got back from buying some uh, last-minute items for the big menu tomorrow, and I smell somebody burning a fire and the leaves are turning. It's just, it's a wonderful time of year. Uh, We have a lot to be thankful for in this country, Ed. Uh, And sometimes, go ahead. In spite of all the negativity out there, when you hear about people who come back you know, to this country from being outside the country. They just love it. And, uh, you know, even when I just go down to Mexico and come back, I feel just sense a, a sense of relief when I get back here. We do have a great <laughs> country. Yeah, you know, I, I, the old adage is you don't miss the water till the well runs dry. And uh, the Liberty Well seems to have been taking a pretty big hit these last few years. Uh, but I do think this time of the year starts to bring people together and 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 starts to make you thankful and you're right i've lived overseas and uh and when i come back home i'm like okay yeah this is i'm i'm back on home turf now uh what's going on with you ed you were we were talking a little bit off the air i know that you're a jewish american uh what's going on in gaza i just had a wonderful guest on i don't know if you got a chance to listen uh to yusef bashir he's a palestinian american and while there's animosity on both sides of the Israeli-Gaza conflict, and certainly understandable, it's long-seated. Jewish Americans in this country have come under a withering attack on college campuses uh, from idiots like Susan Sarandon uh, in Hollywood, um, and these people that really just kind of talk garbage. Uh, What has been your experience uh, with Hollywood and these people that really just kind of talk garbage? Uh, What has been your experience uh, with with the last couple of months, Ed. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that list of idiots is Kyrie Irving uh, from yeah. the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, you know, he shows up with uh, the headgear, and it's just yeah, the kafir. Yeah, and and he made some other anti-Semitic comments, and so he's pretty much uh, embraced himself as an anti-Semitic, uh, especially in a city like Dallas where. There's 35,000 Jews, and a lot of them support uh, his basketball team. He, he's a real idiot. Uh, yeah. But I'll tell you, the what I have experienced, there's been so much love and care from the Christian community. 
it's really been amazing to me. I, you know, people have just called me up. Clients have called me and said, look, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. And I kind of forgot about why they were saying it. I'm thinking, okay, what's going on? And, and they said, <laughs> you know, you're a Jew. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. And they're so caring and so giving. Uh, and they're really genuinely interested in how I am doing. Um, you know, and how am I doing? It's, uh, it's interesting because you never know who that person is out there who is an anti-Semite, uh, who does have some, you know, short, you know, views on Judaism and and really doesn't like Jews um, at all. And you never know who they're going to be. Uh, you don't know if they're going to show up in your front door or if you're going to meet them at a mall uh, or a gas station. Um, and you know, I don't walk around, you know, with you know, with a kippa. And, uh, you know, as some of the Orthodox Jews do, uh, you know, where they dress. But I do feel, you know, a kind of a, you know, kind of insulated because I don't do that. But I'm yeah. the first person to jump out to help another Jew. And there, there is a sense of uh, camaraderie. You know, a lot of Jews, you know, we all don't get along all the time. Uh, it's not like we all kind of hang out and we're all best buddies. You know, there's a lot of fighting among, you know, Jews. <laughs> <laughs> but but in, in in this case, Steve, there's there's this one common element that we're all fighting against, and it brings us together. It's like having a snowstorm in the Northeast. You know, when somebody's you know kind of you know sacked in, everybody helps out and helps get the car out of the ditch. Um, the same kind of thing here with uh, Jews. We're all banded together under this one common threat, uh, and anti-Semitism is is very real right now. It absolutely is, and it's, uh, and you know, I, I, I and I, what you say there is, is is kind of touching because people are calling you, and I think it's funny. Like, okay, what happened? Did my dog die? Oh, yeah, the Jewish thing. I, I just, I just, <laughs> that is so classic. But I think it's because um, we see this going on. I, I blame a lot of this, frankly, uh, a lot of this anti-Semitism uh, on all the usual suspects, the media. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the Hollywood idiots, professional ball players, really don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. They just know that they hate Zionists. They hate Israel they, and ergo Jews. It's so uh, deep as a puddle. Uh, why does, you know, why does a mile deep as a puddle? It's, it's, it's so, but when you see that kind of response from various groups around the country, I think people of goodwill, be they Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, I don't care. People of goodwill see it and they they recoil at it. It it's it's just not who we are as a country. And yet, if you were to watch MSNBC, if you were to watch a CNN panel show, if you were to read the Huffington Post and these other liberal rags, you would think that this country is filled with hateful hateful people that hate everyone that is not them. We're not part of the white patriarchy or whatever. It's just, it's just not true. Is it? No, no, it really isn't. And now I will say, I didn't realize there were that many hateful uh, pro-Palestinians in this country. I mean, you know, with the marches, I mean, how many more marches are they going to have? Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, why don't they get to work and, and do something, you know, productive, but there, there is a tremendous amount of you know love around this country and not all the you know pro-palestinians are out there marching i'm kind of you know teasing about that but the the 
lack of knowledge of what's really going on there is really deep. I, I have a niece uh, who is Jewish, and she is very pro-Palestinian and very anti-Zionist, which surprises the hell out of me. Um, and she she called Gaza a concentration camp the other day, which is just oh, like crazy. But but she grew up in a very liberal community, a very liberal household. Um, and this is what she has been taught. And she even learned it in, in her college. And and there's no way in the world you can talk any rational you know, position to her because she's already set in the way that she sees things. And there's a lot of people out there like that. I have one client um, who is a professional football player and and I was talking to him about it when it first started and he said yeah well you know the Israelis put the people in Gaza in encampments and I'm thinking no no they didn't like that's not true but I didn't want to argue with him but but again they take a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of information and then they use it incorrectly and then they come to ridiculous you know conclusions um, it's it's really an information game, and a lot of it does have to do with the liberal press, uh, and you know, then you know, obviously TikTok and Instagram and so on. Uh, you know, but you know, PragerU is a fantastic outlet uh, where people should go to that, sign up for PragerU if I'm allowed to say yeah. that, um, sure, and 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 learn the facts because the facts are your friend. And the facts are going to set you free, and it's going to allow you to really understand what is going on over there. Um, but, but in in terms of you know, kind of coming back to you know how people are here in this country, uh, the majority of the people are just really kind, giving, caring people, and uh, they don't want anything bad to happen. But, but then again, you know, there is that half of one percent that would love to see you know every Jew dead, uh, you know. Which yeah, and and unfortunately, that half of one percent is amplified uh, by the media and by uh, ignorant professional athletes and by Hollywood starlets who are uh, clinging for some kind of relevancy after a forty some odd year career. Hello, Susan Sarandon. I'm looking at you. Yep. Um, so you know, it, it gets amplified, and to me, you know, and you know, Brian McLean, my co-host on State of the Nation, we've had you on several times, Ed. Uh, and he makes a great point, and and I think it's it's I mean it's it's empirically true that the left and they've always done this. They always take an oppressed class, oppressor class, and that's the way they view everything. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives them it, it it fills them with the sense of virtue. It fills them with the sense of I care more than you do, and it also allows them to point fingers at people that don't necessarily follow that mantra and say you're a bigot. You're I mean, it's it's it, it doesn't seem to help the cause, whatever the cause might be. I would assume the cause is peace uh, and understanding and a mutual appreciation of each other. But we never get that from the left. But I'm happy to hear that in your own personal life, Ed, people are reaching out to you. Christians are reaching out to you and saying, we feel you and 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 we hope you're doing well. I can just give you an anecdotal story of my own. I, I live on the Jersey Shore, um, Lakewood, New Jersey which is about five, six miles away from me, is predominantly Hasidic, uh, a Hasidic Jewish population. It's a big one, too. And we mm -hmm. see them out, and uh, they're nice as they can be. And um, not all of them, but, you know, they're people. Not, not everybody's nice, not, you know, but they're, by and large, very nice folks. And I was out at Costco the other day, and um, 
there were a whole bunch of acidics in there. And I heard a woman talking to a Costco employee, and she basically echoed what you just said. She said, we wear our Jewishness on our sleeves. And in you know, she goes, this wig identifies me. The skirt identifies me. And people have been nothing but kind. And I, and that, that, that was heartening to hear from, from her. So I'm happy that your story is not alone. We're going to take a real quick uh, break. Ed, can you stick around a little bit on the other side? Absolutely. Okay, great. We're speaking with Ed Butowski. I want to jump on the economy when we get back. You're listening to a special edition of the Steve Hook Show on TNT Radio. We'll be right back. 